0: basically a group therapy session where there were five of us and we would get together and have group therapy, which was really helpful for me, mainly because it it helped me to realize I wasn't alone with this. A lot of my issues were shared by other men and, and it helped me to understand that a lot of the things that really affected me were, I don't like to say normal, but they weren't surprising. It was, it was because of the way I, I dealt with this when I was a child.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. With me today is Kevin Bolger with the podcast No Longer Ashamed. As a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, Kevin is out to help people tell their story. Welcome, Kevin. Hello. So glad to have you on the show. Kevin and I actually host, I'm the co-host of a podcast called No Longer Ashamed, and I love the purpose of this podcast. So do you want to just jump in, tell us a little bit of your story and why you chose to do this?
0: My story is I am got into doing the podcast because I was interested in doing voiceover. And it's kind of a long convoluted story for that, but I was interested in doing voiceover and had no acting background, no, you know, experience, but thought I'd give it a try because it sounded like fun, and I really like doing it. And I was given a suggestion from a very good friend of mine who's also a coach. who I'm also talking to right now, <laughs> that I should try doing a podcast. And my immediate thought was, well, who would want to listen to me? And then I knew immediately that I probably could do one about being a survivor. And I had two reactions to that. First was, yes, that was probably a good idea. And the second was, am I crazy? That's <laughs> that's. That's a crazy idea. Who would want to do that? But I really felt called to do it because I feel like, um, right now, with everything going on with the Me Too movement and also with the Catholic Church and the Boy Scouts, that there really is a need for a voice for men who are survivors. It's really hard for men to talk about it, and there's a lot of stigma and shame around being a survivor, but that's mainly because no one ever really talks about it because they really don't want to. It's not something that just no one wants to talk about right now.
1: Tell me why you think it's harder for men.
0: Well, the big issue is the stigma and shame around it. Men, because of their masculinity, are afraid to admit to being a victim. It's really hard and it's really shaming. And also there's a lot of stigma surrounding it because there's association with very often in the news when people talk about male survivors, it's when they are also perpetrators, when they turn out being an abuser or some kind of a perpetrator of crime. And it's often assumed that if you're a survivor, you're probably going to be a perpetrator. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, it's true that, Sometimes people that do terrible things are survivors, but the majority of men who are survivors do not end up being perpetrators. And I think part of the reason that's not really well understood is that people don't realize how many men are survivors. It's not really talked about the, the magnitude of the problem.
1: It's basically people think, if you say, I'm a survivor, they're going to automatically think that there's more to that.
0: Yeah, and it's perpetuated because often in the news they talk about what these criminals do, and then they talk about their past, and yes, they were abused as children, so of course they end up being a perpetrator, but... Now that the magnitude of the issue with the Catholic Church and the Boy Scouts, and we interviewed Mike recently, and he's in the Lutheran Church. He was abused. But when people realize the magnitude of how many men are survivors, they might start to understand that that's only a small percentage of the men that actually turn out to be perpetrators as well.
1: That seems to be the purpose of your podcast is to give men a forum, to give them a place to share their stories?
0: Yeah, exactly. Also to allow them to have a voice to share their stories because I think for a lot of men, the shame is so overwhelming. They're afraid to even talk about it. And so they just try to bury everything and don't want to even address it because it's it seems easier than to try and talk about it.
1: But what's the truth about that, keeping it down versus finally having someone to talk to or hear you?
0: Well, the big reason to share your story is to, for one thing, have a voice in what, how you um, get healing. There's, there's so much that when you bottle it up, you don't realize you're suffering from a lot of different issues. There's the triggers that you don't you aren't even aware of, associations that you struggle with, the depression and so much problems that you can really address if you start to talk about your story. And and there's freedom in that. But if you just bottle it up, you're going to suffer from all these issues and not even realize a lot of times that you're having issues.
1: How old were you when you finally recognized that you needed help or needed to share your story?
0: I was in my late 20s, and frankly, I don't think I really would have done anything. I I had no intention of talking about it. But um, a friend of mine, her sister came out as a survivor, and my friend actually kind of questioned her, didn't really believe her at first. She thought, that she just wanted attention. And it's kind of how the Me Too thing started recently and people were saying, well, why didn't you come out you know, sooner? You know, it's so hard to actually bring up the story the first time because it, you have no idea how people re- will react. And so it's really overwhelming at first. When she questioned her sister about being a survivor I realized that I just said, hey, I believe her because I'm a survivor too. And uh, I've never told anyone because, you know, I've never wanted to talk about it. And so that's when a lot of things started coming up for me. I started realizing I was having a lot of issues, a lot of stressors in my life because of being a survivor. And I needed to deal with it. And I didn't know how. I really had no idea what I was going to do.
1: So, what did you do?
0: Got a bunch of books. There wasn't a lot of them out, actually, but I got two books that, that were kind of the mainstay at the time, and they still are right now. They're called um, Courage to Heal and Victims No Longer. I started reading about it and started understanding a lot of my issues, and then I sought out a therapist, and at that time, I wasn't Making a lot of money, and I didn't have a great job and kind of had financial issues So I sought out a therapist that would see me on a sliding scale And fortunately the first therapist I met I really liked and really felt comfortable with and got Really good feeling about him and really, you know connected with him. So I went to him for years and uh, That worked really helpful and then through that therapist, I found out about a male survivor group, basically a group therapy session where there were five of us and we would get together and have group therapy, which was really helpful for me, mainly because it, it helped me to realize I wasn't alone with this. A lot of my issues were shared by other men. And, and it helped me to understand that a lot of the things that really affected me were I don't like to say normal, but they weren't surprising. It was it was because of the way I, I dealt with this when I was a child.
1: Right, yeah. because yeah. W- what we think is normal, because it's all we know, and then when we realize other people are struggling, it's it kind of is like, oh, that's why I do that. Then there's the recognition so that you can begin to get the help.
0: Yeah, and you can start to... Look at things in your life that you didn't realize were affecting you and realize that you can actually get help for them and you can actually overcome some of these issues.
1: I think you're really brave that you talk about this because I agree with you that people just seem to have a stigma about it. It's harder to look at a man, a male as a victim, even though it happens as a child when usually by the time you're dealing with it, you're older. And so it feels like you're the adult rather than the child that had suffered.
0: Yeah, a lot of times it is hard for the victim, for the survivor to look at themselves in the way they were. They they look at themselves as they are now and, and struggle with being abused because they feel like they should have had some control over it. But The majority of abuse is done by someone, the perpetrator is someone they knew, someone they trusted, often in their family or someone that's very close to the family. And that also makes it hard to come out about it because of the effect it will have with their family dynamics and with their friends and so forth. I know for me, it was really difficult because my perpetrator was in my family and I dealt with him a lot. And that's one of the reasons I actually had to kind of come out and confront my family because I realized I was having a lot of issues around just being around or even hearing his voice. And it affected me. It basically sent me into disassociation. I would have to check out, so to speak. And I couldn't function that way anymore. So I had to confront my family and and set up boundaries.
1: And what was that like?
0: I like to say that went really well. It went well. And uh, he did confess and asked for forgiveness. And we were able to set up working boundaries that, that helped me. But the hard part was how it affected my mother because she never knew what happened. At the time I was abused, my father had left, and my mother was a single mom with four kids, and so she was working full-time, but she worked at the police department, and sometimes she'd be working nights, sometimes days, sometimes graveyard, so she didn't always know what was going on with us kids. And so when I brought it up with my whole family, she felt terrible, and she felt guilty for what had happened and not being able to protect me. And and I never intended that. I never felt like it was her fault or she should have protected me better. I really felt bad about how it affected her, but she started therapy as well. And I think she came to an understanding and a, a peace in her life with that. And I think because of the healing I had in my life and how God has worked in my life, I think she came to realize that that God does heal us and and wants us to heal. And she got to a better place with God because of my relationship with God and, and how that has helped me in this process.
1: We hear a lot about forgiveness and how it relates to healing. Can you talk about what that was like for you?
0: It wasn't easy. I did not want to forgive the perpetrator. I wanted to, I think, hold this over him as a way of power over him. And I did not have any intention of forgiving him, actually, at the time after I confronted him and my family with this. And I think I just wanted him to take the blame and live with the blame and not get past it. But as I got older, I met my wife and wanted to get married and we became engaged and i wanted my whole family to be there even even the perpetrator and uh, she was concerned about how that would go and (laughs) i was concerned as well so i started praying to god for help to forgive him because i knew i mean god commands us to forgive that that's one of his things and there's a reason that he commands us to forgive it's for our own healing he knows that but i think it takes time for someone who's a survivor to realize that forgiveness is not about the perpetrator necessarily. It's about our own healing. I had healing with that and I was able to forgive him.
1: And what was that like for you once you were able to forgive?
0: It was amazing. We were able to heal our relationship. I'm in a much better relationship with him now and my whole family. And it really took a lot of stress out of my life as far as not holding that kind of thing against him. It freed up a lot of my, I don't know, uh, anger in my life, a lot of angst in my life. It was just a, a act of freedom, I, I like to call it.
1: It's interesting because what we hear a lot of times is, if I forgive the person who hurt me, then it's like it didn't happen. And what I hear you saying is, didn't change that it happened, but it actually gave you freedom from having to hang on to that negativity.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how it felt. And I think before I did forgive him, I also felt the same way. If I forgave him, I was letting him off the hook. I was making it okay what he did. And that that wasn't the result. And it still isn't. I mean, it's not that he's off a hook or it's okay, or I'm over it. It's not that at all. It's just that I forgave him because I really understand what happened. But I also understand that if I hold on to it my whole life, I'm going to be the one who's imprisoned by it.
1: That's an interesting word, imprisoned.
0: Well, it felt like being imprisoned. It felt like being trapped in, you know, by this cage of resentment and anger, and, and I allowed that to control my life.
1: So in doing this podcast, your hope is to reach out to maybe people that haven't been able to talk about it yet, or people that know people?
0: Yeah, I feel like even for friends and family of survivors, there's so many things that are misunderstood or just people don't realize what it's like to be a survivor and to go through the process of healing and what that means. And I think for me, when I was first going to group therapy and so forth, it felt like we had no guidelines. We didn't know what we were going to be dealing with. There's a lot of things that come up when you start going through the healing and a lot of issues, a lot of things that especially for people who have repressed memories and aren't sure if they know for sure what happened. There's a lot of things that you don't realize will come up when you start going through the healing. And the healing is a process. It's a lifelong process. I feel healed, but I know I am still affected. It's good to be aware of what these issues are. And I think I want to do the podcast for people who are just whether or not they've ever told anyone or if they're in the process, but they're still new or friends and family. So they understand what the survivor is going through.
1: Can you give us an example of, for instance, like what your family might be going through? What might you do that would make it hard for a family member?
0: Well, I had to set up boundaries because of the way I was affected. Family members, especially they might not be comfortable with the change in the family dynamics when someone decides to heal because they may or may not have to set up boundaries but they are going to act differently than a lot of families sometimes the abuse is you know people are aware of it it's but it's hidden and it's hidden because the the family members all share in the secret and they all kind of agree to share without really acknowledging it. It's just known that, that we never talk about that. So when someone does talk about it, suddenly they're the scapegoat because why are you changing the dynamics? Why are you messing this up for everyone else? It's helpful to realize that as a part of healing, they will have to address things differently. They will have to set up boundaries. They will have to start Dealing with family members differently because their own safety, their own healing.
1: Right. You're like shining the light on something that they've wanted to keep quiet.
0: Yeah. Well, in order for abuse to continue, it has to remain a secret. And the perpetrator generally has methods of keeping it a secret, has methods of making the survivor keep silent. But we have to break that silence so we can break the cycle. A lot of times abuse perpetuates because no one ever breaks a cycle. They always keep the secret so it just keeps going on and on and on. And oftentimes a perpetrator gets away with abusing a lot of people just because no one wants to talk about. They don't want to break that silence.
1: You said there's ways that they keep you silent. Can you give us an example of some ways
0: Well, the obvious ones are threats of violence or threats to you or your family or the other members of the family. But there's also real insidious ones, like they will say that something bad will happen to them if they're the provider taking care of you, which often it is. They'll say something bad will happen to me if this ever gets out. So this has to be our secret. But also they do it even more insidiously by being kind of bribing the survivor by telling them this is our special time, this is our special thing, we don't want anyone else to know because they'll feel bad, they'll feel jealous. And so they kind of bribe them into feeling like they're the special one and this is a special thing they do with them. And so it's really painful and hard for survivors sometimes when they realize that the secret that they've believed all their lives was just a lie and that it wasn't the truth, and but they were held bound by that secret, by that lie. And then when they break the silence and they break the secret, they realize that it wasn't true. It's, it's often really hard because they've lived with that lie and now they realize it was just a lie.
1: And I think about when you're a child and the perpetrator is older than you, that of course you're going to believe the lie. Of course you're going to think something bad will happen or you'll be taken away or whatever. You grow up with that.
0: Yeah, it's really sad. But And often perpetrator is someone in uh, control of the, the survivor's life that they trust. And that's also the painful part to realize that they broke that trust. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's really painful when you realize that your childhood was broken by someone.
1: What would you say to somebody listening who has suffered abuse and hasn't been able to tell their story yet?
0: Find someone that you trust, that you feel comfortable with. If you feel like you need to talk about it, find someone and don't base everything on how they react because you're not going to know how someone's going to react but keep talking about your story a little bit at a time just what you feel comfortable with find the people that that believe you and that want to help you it can take a while sometimes to find the people i was lucky that i got a therapist right away that i felt comfortable with and that was very helpful but it can be really hard at first just because there's a fear of how someone's going to react but generally i have found that people do want to help. People do want to be supportive. It's just that they don't always know how. But sometimes you have to also consider who you're telling the story to, how they fit in in the dynamics of the abuse. Are they related to the perpetrator or or do they know the perpetrator well? Is that going to affect how they're going to react when you tell them? Sometimes it's better to tell someone who's not necessarily in the family dynamics at first so you can tell your story to someone safe and be believed and then maybe approach the people that were in the dynamics in your family or whoever was a part of the cycle so sometimes it's better to find someone that you just feel comfortable with and you trust and just tell them a little bit at a time until you feel like you're being believed.
1: Mm. Well, we're out of time, Kevin, but thank you so much for the work that you're doing. How can people reach you?
0: We have a Facebook page that No Longer Ashamed, and we also have a website. And so you can message us on Facebook and or you can send us a message on on the website. And I'd love to hear from other survivors or other family members I really... I'm very new at this whole social media thing. I haven't done it a lot. I'm kind of inexperienced as far as that goes, but I'm trying to reach out. And we just had a really great interview with uh, someone who reached us on Facebook, and his name's Mike. And uh, we just posted that interview. I think that was a great thing because it really showed that, you know, there's so many people that are just realizing how this affects them and and they're trying to basically make it known that this affects a lot of people.
1: Yeah, so this is a place where somebody can also, they can learn about it, but they can also tell their story.
0: Yeah, we'd love to share. If you feel like you want to just talk with us, that'd be great. And if not, if you want to be interviewed, we'd love to do that as well.
1: So, no longerashamed.org or the Facebook page, No Longer Ashamed. It's kind of purpley. It has a I always want to say dragon. It's a...
0: (laughs) Salamander.
1: (laughs) It's a fire salamander.
0: There's a funny story about that. And that's actually, we have a couple bonus episodes that are just about that story.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I'm Lori Hardy, and thanks for listening today. I hope you've learned something new. Join me again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.